Last week we started our study in Ephesians. I don't know if you know, this is an actual photograph of the envelope that Paul sent. And did you notice the stamp? Because Timothy put this together that was up on the top corner. Yeah, so you don't realize Freedom Church was there, right? No, I'm just kidding. So this, if you missed part one, I would encourage you to bring your true identity. And uh, you know we live in a world today where everybody wants to find out I've got to find myself. What is my true identity? And uh, let me tell you, you can only find it in Christ, right? If you want to find out who you are, you've got to find out who made you, and whoever made you is the one that determines who you are. So our identity is found in Him. Now, if you think about the church in general, how many of you realize the church is made up of a whole lot of different people? Right, a whole lot. There's married people, there's divorced people, there's widowed people, single people, single people wanting to be married, single people that are completely not interested in being married, married people not... No, I'm just not going there. So uh, we have all generations too. Isn't that good? We got, we got kids, we got babies, kids, teens, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, uh, any great-great-grandparents? I mean, that's getting up there, right? Uh, how many of you know it would be easy if the church was just one generation, because then you could focus all the songs, everything could be, but do you realize a one-generational church doesn't last very long? Basically last one generation, and that's it, right? Uh, you could have all of that. The body is made up of all nationalities, uh, from all over the globe. If you think about, uh, we're not, it's not just an American gospel, is it? All right? There's European, there's African, there's Asian, there's uh, South American, Caribbean, right? All over the place. It's just so different. The body of Christ has uh, got different political opinions. How many of you know there's Democrats that are Christians? Right? There's Republicans that are Christians. There's independents. How many of you are in the I'm fed up with it all in the political category? All right? So uh, all, faith, uh, all kinds of different faith groups, I mean, that are in the body of Christ. There's Baptist, right? And how many of you know in the Baptist there are about 15 or 20 different types of Baptist? Right? Pentecostal, there's a number of different that are there. Presbyterian, there's Methodist, there's Lutheran, there's Catholic, there's Anglican, there's Church of Christ. I could go on and on. There's so many different uh, backgrounds. Can you imagine how diverse the body of Christ really is? Right? So many different backgrounds, uh, different ideas. You can go in one area. They got different traditions, right? Going to one church, they do things this way. You go to another church, they do things a different way. But with all of the differences and all of the things, how many of you realize we are all united around Christ? Amen? Jesus is the center of all of it. We center around his love, his forgiveness, his grace. Instead of being divided, we should be united around the cross. Amen? So here's the thing. I want to tell you, Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians to this church in, uh, you know, in, in Europe, basically. And let me tell you, there are three different groups of people that basically went to this church that he was addressing. There were the Jewish believers that uh, they still, you know what, we're the chosen people, we're born Jewish, we have special access to God, and they would put pressure on the Gentiles to become and act a little bit more like the Jews. And, and some of them even questioned if, you could even, if Gentiles could be saved. And if you don't know, a Gentile is anyone that's not a Jew. 
So it doesn't matter. They were all in that group. At best, the Gentiles could get in there, but they were lesser Christians. And then there was like a little bit more legalistic Jewish Christians. They believed, yes, we're chosen, but not just because we're chosen, but because we obey the law. Right, the Old Testament law. That's why you see the, a lot of the letters of Paul. He addresses uh, just like the difference between grace and the law because some of them were hanging on. They're like, yeah, I know Jesus died for me, but I'm in there not only because of that, but because I'm strictly following the law. How many of you know it doesn't work that way? And so this is kind of Paul's crowd that he's dealing with. And oh, and then you have the Gentile converts from paganism. And there, you know, the, the paganism, there was no salvation in it. It was like based on what you did and you had to be, uh, connected to that. So that's the world. And there was just so many different gods. How many of you know the world at that time? You know, the Greeks had gods, the Romans had gods, uh, you know, temples all over the place. So here these Gentiles are coming into this new, uh, Christianity. And then they got the Jewish people that don't really like them in the first place. And it's like, what is my place? How do I fit in that? And that wildly diverse group of people, different backgrounds, I can imagine there had to be a lot of confusion. How do we bring unity in that? How do we get together? Your thinking, my thinking, how are we going to follow God? So this is Paul's audience that he is writing this letter to, three different groups. And what Paul did, he's like, okay, I'm going to start with something all of you guys have in common. How many of you know, if you're going to talk to people in different places, you got to start with common ground, and that's exactly what Paul did. So he starts out in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, as for you, and whenever he said you, he was talking about all of them, the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, the legalistic Jewish Christians, he's like, every one of you, and he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. That's a great place to start. We always think death is the end, right? But death is really the beginning. And he's saying to them, all of you are spiritually dead. Yes, your body is alive, but in reality, because you have not yet been born again spiritually, your spirit, man, how many of you know we were born uh, triune, just like God? We were created in God's image. We are spirit, soul, and body. And until you accept Christ as your Savior, basically your soul and body, your spirit is not born again. It needs to be born again. So he's saying you're spiritually dead. And how many of you realize that a spiritually dead person has no life in which they can understand or respond to spiritual things? If you're spiritually dead, here's the thing. The Bible is a spiritual book, isn't it? And if you read it with an unspiritual mind, it's kind of boring. I mean, before you become Christ, because you can't understand it. It's like, oh, yeah, it's a bunch of words. Oh, I understand it. But it's a living book that has the Spirit's anointing on it. And how many of you remember before you were saved trying to read the Bible and it was like, man, this thing's boring? Anybody? I mean, I, I was like, yeah, who can get through that? And then when you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you and be, you become spiritual alive, all of a sudden it's like the words jump off the page. It's like all of a sudden, this book that I didn't understand because I was spiritually dead, now it makes sense. So Paul is basically telling him, listen, you guys were spiritually dead. There was no way, no way that I could express God's love to you unless the Holy Spirit begins to infuse those words and begins to penetrate our heart, amen? So Paul says, your system of rules, your religion, your ritual, all of that brought all of us to the same place, you were dead. 
That's where he's starting out. And then he goes on to say, So you were dead in your transgression, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Like you used to live that way, all of you, every group, every single one of you. And how many of you know the same is true today? Nothing's changed in that. Again, Republican, Democrat, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, conservative, liberal, people that have been in the church for 50 years plus, or maybe you just stumbled in today by accident, right? All of us are in the same boat, spiritually dead in our transgressions and sin. And I know I've heard people say, well, I wasn't really that bad. Come on, you know, I'm basically a good person. I'm really not that bad. Well, let's check that out, what, how that weighs against Scripture. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, you know, sometimes, how many of you like getting some of the Greek and Hebrew words and find out what that word really means? Yeah. Right? So I took the word all here, and I found the, uh, the Greek def- word of it, it's pa- and it means all. Right? Isn't that deep, spiritual, Right? So just in case you're thinking it means all except for a couple, it doesn't mean that. It means everyone. Us have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. We can't make it into heaven on our own. We were dead, spiritually dead. And so he goes on to say in verse 3, all of us, again, that's including all of us, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. And again, I love this, like the rest... We were by nature's object of wrath. So in case you happen to be sitting in the crowd and thinking, yeah, this all applies to those guys. They're sinners, you know, they're this, they're gratifying their sinful nature, but not me. No, Paul goes, and just like the rest, we were all by nature that way. And so Paul is basically reminding his crowd of all kinds of different people, you may be where you are now, but guess what? We were all in the same boat. We were all there. You may think that you have a pedigree, your background, your heritage gets you a special pass into the kingdom of God, but guess what? Your family can't save you, right? You can't, you're not there because of that. Your mom and dad can't get you in. Even if your great, great grandson can give you a special pass, right? You got to get in on your own. You might've been born in a church, but guess what? Just because you were raised up in church, if you never made that confession of faith, you're still there. And it doesn't, you can't even follow enough rules. Well, what rules do I need to follow? Can I be a good enough person? How many of you know that doesn't cut it either? None of that works. That's not how you get to heaven. That's not how you become spiritually alive. So I want to read this uh, verse again, these first three verses, and just to focus, the highlighted words I want you guys to read with me, okay? He says, as for you... You, what? Were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts like the rest. What? We were, by nature, objects of wrath. So, how many of you know what tense all that, those words were in? Past tense, right? He's Paul saying, you were dead. He's saying, you used to live that way. You were an object of wrath. And here's the thing, an object of wrath, yes, if I live my life against God, then guess what? We face the wrath of God. 
We're either a friend of God because we've accepted Christ or we have positioned ourselves to be an enemy of God. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've got people that don't like me in, my, in this world. I don't know who they are anymore, but I'm sure that they're still out there. Uh, but I, one thing I don't want, and I don't want to be an enemy of God. I want to be a friend of him. Here's the reality. We were hopeless and lost, but all of that's in the past. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, that's not you anymore. Right? You are no longer that person. So I want you to get ready because this is where the good news really begins. But before Paul gave them the good news, he had to remind them who they were. Because this is a reality. The longer you serve God, the more you forget how really rotten you really were. You forget where you really were. I mean, I've been serving the Lord 30 plus years now, but I still remember, especially every now and then, my flesh wants to pop up and remind me who I was, right? But that's not me anymore. So how many of you remember who you were? Yeah, you remember where you were at. Paul said, you used to be dead in your sin, but look what he goes on to say in verse 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, Boy, I just like, I I highlighted that. I love that. God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And our worship team, you guys can come. Isn't that awesome? It's not because of what you and I have done. It's not because we've kept the rules. It's not because of your family that you were born into. How many of you know it's not because of your political views? not because of your denomination. It's not because you got vaccinated or not vaccinated. It's nothing to do with us. It's nothing that what we've done or what we can do. The only reason why many of us are here is because of his great love for us. The cross was the ultimate demonstration of grace. And because of that, because of that, Jesus paid all of our ways into heaven. And so even while I was praying, I, was, I had this song on my heart as I'm preparing this, because I was getting excited. I'm like, oh man, you were dead in your sins. You were dead. In, but because of his great love for us, God in his rich mercy. So we're just going to take a little praise break. Is that okay? And, uh, and, and let's sing this song. And I want you just, just unto the Lord as we sing this. I hear the Savior Thy strength indeed is strong, child of weakness, watch and
give the Lord a hand clap. Lord, you are worthy. How many of you know that's the story of the gospel right there? That's really what unites us as Christians. Doesn't matter what name's on the side of a building, that is our identity. He paid it all. That's our story. That's our our testimony that we were spiritually dead, and in spite of all of that, God loved us. You are loved. God is rich in mercy. I love that. I love what it says right there. Because of his great love, God is rich in mercy. I know I've shared this, but definition of mercy, do you guys know what that is? That's not getting what we deserve. 
Amen. How many of you are thankful that you don't get what you deserve? <laughs> I know what I earn. People that say it's mine and I want it. No, you really don't want what you got coming, right? That's God's mercy. He's rich in it. His grace, you, it's by grace is getting what we don't deserve. We get heaven. We get a new life. We get transformed life. We have hope in this life. Amen. And not only in this life and the life to come. I'm so thankful that I was thinking of this morning as I was praying over this message, this chorus came to me and I didn't have the worship team do it because we're going to try to do it. Some of you guys will remember this song. Maybe you, if you haven't, and can we put the words of, up to that next song, the steadfast love of the Lord? This came to my heart this morning, just the chorus. I didn't even know there were verses to it. How many of you have heard, remember that? Can we sing that? Can we try to, we're going to sing that acapulco, I mean acapella, right? <laughs> So you guys help me. Let's try it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen. Aren't you glad for the steadfast love of the Lord? His mercy that he paid it all. I mean, I'm just focusing on that because I was reminded as I'm getting ready for this message, oh, I know who I used to be. But because of his great mercy, because of his great love for me, I know who I am now. Amen. Doesn't matter who I used to be, matters who I put my faith in. Amen. So let's move on. Verse six, he says, it is by grace you have been saved. In verse six, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Again, there's a tense on these words, right? Is that present, future, or past tense? This is past, right? He raised us. He seated us. Those are past tense words right there. Sometimes people think, oh, I'll give my life to the Lord, and on that last day, I'll be raised to new life with him. How many of you know, once you accepted Christ, you were already raised? How many of you know, you are already living your eternal life now? It's not someday in the future. Yes, there's going to be a little blip in the road where you go from this life to the next, but you are already living your eternal life now. You are already raised, and I love seated. What does that mean to be seated? I mean, we, we just had the death of uh, Queen Elizabeth, and guess what? Her son is now seated on this throne. How many of you know we are already seated with Christ? We are already adopted into his family. We already have all the rights and all the authority. All the things that God put in Christ is available to us now. Not someday in the future. So I don't know about you guys, but that's exciting. We have authority over the enemy to what? To squash the enemy, right? And to declare the uh, promises of God. So we are already raised. We are already seated. And look what he says in verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in Christ Jesus. You see, the cross is an example, I would say the ultimate example of his grace, isn't it? Yeah. The ultimate example. But can I tell you, there's another powerful example of grace 
Who knows what that might be? Somebody look at your neighbor and say you. And then to look at yourself, me. You guys, each one of us are an example of God's grace. Have you ever thought about that? Yes, the cross is the, the, the ultimate example, but I want to tell you, God shows uh, you off like a parent shows off his child. He points to us as examples of his incredible example uh, of his grace. We are a demonstration of grace. Everybody say that. Say, I'm a demonstration of God's grace. And I know some of you might be thinking, me, after everything I've done, after all the sins that I've committed, but check this out out of Romans 5.20. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So the reality is the messier we are, the more grace we needed, right? But God gets that grace. Here's the thing. Sin loses to grace every time. Sin thinks it's going to win. It thinks it has victory. But the reality, the greater the sin, the greater grace that is given. And the greater of God's grace that's in my life, guess what? God gets more glory. And the more glory God... Listen, the greater the sin, I believe the greater the victory. God gets all of that. You are a trophy of God's grace. You are an example. How many of you... Probably nobody here. Nobody. How many of you ever gone into somebody's house and they've got a billion trophies from their life, right? Uh, like bowling trophies. <laughs> what, uh, I mean, I've seen it's like, oh man, I got 50 trophies. Yeah, I won this. You know, I got a whatever scoring bowling, whatever it may be. Uh, nothing wrong with that. I want to make fun. But sometimes people put their trophies in a case. And, and then I was thinking about high schools. High schools all have their trophy cases, don't they? Oh, our team won this and our team won that. So as I was thinking about that, I Googled my old high school and I wanted to see if there was a picture of the trophy case that was at my high school. And uh, there wasn't, but there was this one award that is in the trophy case. Whoops, where it is right here. Uh, this is uh, this, my high school used to be named when I graduated Robert E. Lee High School, Midland, Texas, because of the culture we live in now. And I'm not even going to get into that, but I'm going to have my little fit for a minute. They renamed it to Legacy because they didn't like the name of Robert E. Lee. I don't know anyway. I grew up in Texas, come on. But anyway, this is something the NFL sent to every high school that ever had a player that played in the NFL. And uh, my high school had three, has three of these there. But this is uh, Cedric Benson. He played uh, for Midland Lee Rebels at the time. Uh, but he was in the Super Bowl. And they sent that as a reason. So I was reading the article that I got this picture from. And the coach says, I like having these things in here because it gives our kids hope that no matter how big their dreams, they can do it. Right? Right? Like when you walk by and it's like, hey, this guy used to go to high school right here. If he can achieve that, why can't I? If he can do it, because sometimes we see people accomplish big things. We're like, "Eh, I can't do that. I can't do that. But I like that word hope. Have you ever thought that a trophy can give somebody else hope? A trophy can do that. Uh, Your life being a trophy of God's grace can give hope to somebody else. I mean, like, one way it's like, oh, man, I knew that guy, and if God let him in, then I surely got a chance. Right? How many many of you can identify? And it's like it gives a hope when God looks at us. So uh, verse 7, let me read that. It says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. I want to do it out of the New Living Translation because I love this even better. So that God can point to us 
and all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Now, let me ask this question. Anybody, your parents ever, like you were as a little kid, or maybe you had little kids and they were pointing, what do we tell them? It's rude to what? It's rude to point, right? But how many of you know there's some appropriate times to point? Because God is pointing at each and every one of us. Like I had this picture in my head, like your kids are out there playing on the, on the sport field or whatever, and the parents are in the stand. One of the parents leans over to the other parent and says, hey, which one of those kids is you? What do the parents do? They point them out and they're like, that one right there. That one right there is my son. That one right there is my daughter. How many of you realize that's what God does to us? God is pointing like, look, that one right there, that one right there, that's my son, that's my daughter. And listen, none of these people knew I was going to do this, but I just wanted to put this up here. Here's one of the trophies of God's grace. He's back there right in the back. Everybody just kind of point over there at Anthony, right? Because God's been pointing at him. Uh, the next one that we have, he was actually in the first service today, so we, we did that to him. Uh, Christian is, uh, he's over watching the 49ers or whoever they are. But let me tell you, a year and a half ago, he was a mess. And God is doing a work uh, in, in his life. Another one, he was in first service this morning as well. But I wanted to point out, this is Sam. And uh, some of you guys have not seen him when he had long hair. And he was an absolute mess about three years ago. And God like pulled him out of the pit and uh, uh, he plays bass normally on the team. Uh, another one, and they don't know, only half of them are here. Bill's back there. Point at Bill. He's like, no, don't point at me. And tell his wife that she missed it this morning. But let me tell you, if you don't know their testimony, God pulled them out. You guys are trophies right now. Now, the next one, they have no idea that I did this, but... Timothy and Stephanie right there. And the reason I include them is because sometimes we think both of them were raised as pastor kids. And, and the good thing about it is neither one of them ever strayed off. Not that they ever didn't have moments or anything like that. Sometimes we think, oh, you know what? My life was a mess, so now God redeemed me, and now I'm a trophy. But I want to tell you, God points at them and says, look at them. They never left me. They've always followed up. Yeah, they've had trouble. Yeah, they've, you know, yeah, there's challenges everybody faces in their faith. And, and listen, I, I started thinking of all you different people I could have put, so I just wanted to include it like this. Your photo here. Because I, I could start on this side of the congregation and go all the way over and just begin to point out different people. You guys are all trophies of God's grace. I'm a trophy. I mean, those are people, I know my sister and my parents usually watch online, my cousin usually does, and it's like, you guys knew me before, would you ever expect this? And it's like, no. What's he doing up there? He was kind of a, you know, smart aleck. What in the world is going on? But let me tell you, God looks at you and he sees every one of you as a trophy of his grace. Every one of you. I don't know if you've seen yourself that way, you may not, but I don't want you to leave today without realizing, hey, I'm a trophy. And I'm in God, when I'm thinking about the church, how many of you know this church is really one of God's trophy cases? Right? Every one of us are filled. We are a trophy case. And you know what? That church that's down the street, that's another one of God's trophy cases. That church that's even down even further and you keep passing, next time you pass a church, say, oh, there's one of God's trophy cases. 
And Sunday, it's going to be filled with his trophies. How many of you know the trophy case is not the prize? It's the trophies that are inside of it, right? The building, when everybody leaves today, this is just going to be an empty case. But when you guys come in, God's looking. I can just, I, I can't tell you this for sure, but I'm thinking God's looking down. I was like, oh, yeah, there's that one. You know what? There's my, there's my favorite. Oh, yeah, that's my favorite. Oh, that's my favorite, right? Every one of us are God's favorite. I know we tell our kids, I mean, we got three kids, and you know what? Who do you like more? Oh, we love all of you guys the same. You're all our favorites. How many of you know in God's king, economy, that's true? Yeah. We're all top of the list, and we got to realize that. If you're looking for grace, all you got to do is look around you. So many different stories. This room is filled with that. We are living, breathing examples of the powerful work of God's grace in our life. Amen. I want to tell you today, you're not worthless. You aren't useless. You aren't hopeless. If you've been struggling with self-worth and self-esteem, don't raise your hand on that, but I know that's probably most of us. I want to tell you, lift up your head because you are a shining prize in God's sight. He wants to, uh, well, my verse is God. He wants to point to you and say, yes, that's my child. I know who I used to be, but I'm on his mantle now. I'm on his mantle. Verse 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved. Right? We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing we could do. And it's through faith. We've got to put our faith in him. We've got to say, yes, God, I want you. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so none of us can boast. Nobody can say, oh, yeah, I, you know what? I served you know, the homeless. I did this and I did that. You can't earn grace. Right. Nothing you can do, none of your accomplishments, it's all because of his love. Right. Amen? The only way to have salvation is to believe in God's power to save you. The Scripture says to believe in our heart and to confess with our mouth. That's it. There's no hoops you got to jump through. There's none of that. It's simply coming to him and saying, God, I just want everything you have. I receive your son. And so uh, Paul wraps it up in verse 10. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. And again, I put this one in the new living just because I liked it better. For we are God's masterpiece. How many of you know, you're not just a trophy, you are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things. So I, I want you to understand, he just said we are saved by grace. It's not by works, but then he goes on to say that we are his masterpiece created to do good works. And sometimes people get that out of order. The result of being saved by grace is a life that does good works. It doesn't go the other way. You don't do good works to qualify for salvation. How many of you, if you get it backwards, then you're just in a works-based religion. That's not what God called us to do. You don't get saved because uh, you did good works. You, get, you do good because you are saved. Does that make sense? Amen. So I'm going to cover uh, four things real quick. The notes were pretty bare today, weren't they? There's only four things that I want you to remember as you leave today that we can confess because... We are saved by grace. The first one is that you are loved. You are loved. Don't ever, you know, because of his great for love. I, I know that we all know that. We tell people, Jesus loves you, right? We sing it, Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells us so. But listen, it's got to get from here to right here. For us to really realize how much God loves us. That he gave his only son 
so that none of us would have to perish, right? But that we would all have eternal life. God loved us so much, he gave up his own son. So that's number one. Second one, that if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, then guess what? You are spiritually alive. You are. Your spirit is born. You are a whole person, spirit, soul, and body. Amen? And when we go to heaven, we get to ditch this old wreck and our, soul, our spirit, and we get a new body, right? Hallelujah. Amen? How many of you are thankful for that, right? Yeah. So you're no, here's the thing. Because you're spiritually alive, you are no longer trapped in sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer dead in your trespasses. You no longer have to obey this sinful nature. Right? I know people are like, oh, you know what? This is just me. This is just how I am. I'm not going to change. Yes, you're not a trapped anymore. You are set free. Your spirit is alive. Amen? And then the, let me, this next one, the next time you are doubting and the enemy is like telling you you're nothing but a dirt bag and you're a loser and you failed again and you're all of those things, I want you to remember this, that you are a trophy of God's grace. Amen? If I had a sticker of a trophy, I'd give it to every one of you. You are a trophy of God's grace. And then the next one, before I cover that, I just want to pray first because if you need to apply God's grace to your life, then, then you need to do that. If you say, hey, if you're here today and you're like, or maybe you're watching online, hey, listen, I don't know if I were to die today, I don't know if I would go to heaven. If there's any kind of question in your mind whatsoever, how many of you know all I got to do is believe in my heart and begin to confess with my mouth? That's what the scripture says. Can I have everybody just bow your head for a moment? If you're here today and you say, you know what, I want to make a fresh commitment to him, uh, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Actually, I want everybody to pray it with me. But if that's you, then just make that a fresh commitment. If you just say the words and it doesn't mean anything, then guess what? It doesn't mean anything. But if you believe it, if it's coming from your heart, then it makes all the difference. So let's uh, pray this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you because of your great love for me. I know I didn't earn it. I know I don't deserve it. But you love me anyway. And so today... I want to give my life to you. I believe that Jesus came, died on a cross, and rose from the dead for me. So I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you know that's a spiritual transaction? And listen, there's no formula of praying that. It's coming from your heart, and God hears that. Amen. And so that leads me. If you are loved, you're spiritually alive, you're a trophy of God's grace, then number four, I want you to know that God has good plans for you. God has good plans for you. And he wants to use you to do good for others. Right? He wants you to make a difference in other people's lives because he's going to point to you as his trophy to give hope to somebody else. Like, listen, if God did that in their life, he can do it in my life. If you have walked this minefield of life, how many of you know life is a minefield, right? Anybody been blown up by a few mines along the way? Like, boom, man, I, I wish somebody would have told me that was there, right? I wish I would have known that. Listen, that's what God has called us to do. Once you have received his grace, understand, okay, God, I want to be used to help other people. I want to be used to help somebody else navigate this messy life so that they don't have to step on the things that I stepped on. Amen? They don't have to go there. Understand that the good things that you do, that's not what makes you a Christian, is it? 
No, you do the good because you are a Christian. That's right. Because I've given my life. I understand God's got a plan. A lot of times people just stop right here. Okay, I'm loved. I, I've asked Jesus into my life. So I'm this trophy now. And you leave out number four. Listen, verse 10 is just as important in uh, verses 1 through 9 as all the others. God wants to use us to make a difference in our world. Aren't you glad that somebody told you about Jesus? I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for some friends that I've had that, that would invite me to church for, you know, silly activities. But somewhere along the line, the gospel started getting through. Amen? Somewhere along the line, it began to make a difference. So I'm just going to have you. We're getting ready to wrap it up right now. But if you do need prayer, we've got some people up here. But I want to, I want to sing this last song. I just, this morning, it was on my heart. It's I'm a child of God. Who, who you say I am. So uh, I want to sing this as a confession. Can I have everybody stand? Unless your leg's hurting or something like that, you don't have to. But uh, let's make a stand. Let's make this a declaration of who we are in Christ. We are not who we say we are. We're not who the enemy says we are. We're not who what the world says we are. How many of you know we are who God says we are? Amen. Amen. So as we sing this, let's, uh, let's just make that a confession to him.